Well, as we make our way to our seat, I want to highlight um, one other announcement to save the date for August 4th. That's our church picnic, August 4th. We're going to be at the Methodist campgrounds in Des Plaines. They remodeled their swimming pool last year, so it should be a pretty nice time. August 4th, Saturday, that is our church picnic. Please save the date for that. All righty. You might remember 1993, if you're old enough, that is. 1993, there was a commercial that Nike aired in conjunction with Charles Barkley, the NBA superstar. And in that commercial, Barkley says six words that brought him a lot of attention. He said, I am not a, you remember? Role model. I am not a role model. The commercial goes on, he says, I am not paid to be a role model. I am paid to wreak havoc on the basketball court. Parents should be role models. Imagine that today, right? That, shouldn't go, that wouldn't go over too well. Well, back then, it kind of didn't go over the best in some circles either. In fact, it garnered a lot of mixed reactions. Some people are like, man, he's on point with that. Just because the guy's on television doesn't mean you're supposed to emulate your life after this dude. That's, that's a true point, right? And then other people are like, but you are a, a public figure. In fact, fellow NBA star Carl Malone, whom the Bulls beat twice in the NBA championship, had to mention that, he writes in Sports Illustrated, he says, Charles, I don't think it's your decision to make whether you're a role model or not. He says, we don't choose to be role models. We are chosen. He says, our only choice is whether to be a good role model or a bad one. Drop the mic. Treated him, right? You know, as I, as I hear that commercial and the responses, I think, man, there's truth on both sides to that equation, aren't there? On the one hand, just because someone is a public figure or popular, or prominent, doesn't mean that we're supposed to model our lives after them. In fact, that's a pretty risky thing to do. But on the other hand, it doesn't get us off the hook to say, your parents should be your role model, that's not my job. It's not, it doesn't get us off the hook. In fact, I think we often forget that many eyes are always on us, whether you notice it or not. Many people, many things are striving to grab our attention and cause us to model our lives after those things. Whether it's athletes, whether it's brands, there's a reason why Nike pays millions and millions of dollars to have a player wear their shoe. Because they think if that player is your role model, then you're going to go spend 150 on their gym shoes. That probably costs seven bucks to make, Right? This is the way advertising works. Our minds are always being shaped and influenced by things that would strive to be our role models or examples. There's reasons why magazine companies are filled um, with all kinds of purposes, and they place their magazines at the front of every store by the register for those impulse buys, but every picture has, is trying to grab your attention. Whether it's a sensual picture of someone looking risque or whether it's a nature scene that looks beautiful. Whether it's a cute little cuddly puppy or it's a famous actor or actress. 
They know what they're doing. They're shaping our minds. They're grabbing our attentions, and they're trying to hook in our lives. Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, they understand that music influences our lives. And then we have artists that become role models, and then we begin to live, live, uh, live our lives following after them. Whatever you want to believe, all of us will be influenced. All of you will be influenced. Parents, your children will have influencers in their lives. Your youth are being influenced. All of us in this room are being influenced. And so when we come to this and we hear Charles Barkley's words, we've got to choose our models carefully. And on the other hand, we've got to be exemplary kind of people for those same reasons. When I think about baseball fields and football fields, you have these stadiums built with 30, 40, 50, 60, 100,000s of people sitting in stands watching others on the field. You and I need to live our lives understanding that the world is watching us. And so we've got to be careful who we follow and be careful on the kind of people we're going to be. Both of these things are, are, are important. Both of these things are essential. So the, the question then is, what kind of life is worthy of imitation? And I want you to know that it's a life that risks it all for Jesus and then selflessly cares for other people. That, that's the kind of life that's worthy of imitation. And I say that with a caution because... As we talk about following other people's examples, um, all of us will say at different times that we have been let down significantly by people we looked up to. In society, but perhaps even more painfully, whether it's in in our home or in the local church, okay? It's important for us to realize, though, that people are are imperfect and that we should never put our hope in other people. Our hope needs to be in God. But the other side of the spectrum is not then to say, I'm not going to look at other people. You know, what's interesting, though, no matter how jaded we've become, perhaps, by the failures and moral failures of public figures, and in particular, religious leaders like pastors, my plea for you is to not become jaded to the fact that there are godly men and women that you should imitate, that you should imitate in your life. There are godly people to follow their example. No matter how jaded perhaps you've had experiences in the past, how jaded you've become because of those experiences, character does count. And we should honor and follow those who have those kinds of characters. In fact, the Bible tells us to imitate godly examples. Philippians 3.17 says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Paul saying that. Now that's something, that's something big to say. Hey, imitate me. I mean, most of us are like, I don't know if I'm going to say that too too clearly. And then he says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. 1 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. And you think, man, this dude's pretty bold. Say, hey, I want you, to your life, to follow my example. That's a strong statement. And then in 1 Corinthians 11.1, he explains why he could say this. He says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Follow me 
as I follow Christ. What Paul is telling us, he's saying, look, look at the life I lead. And so long as my eyes are set on Jesus and I'm following him, you need to follow my example because ultimately by following my example, you're following Jesus. And so this is what God is calling us to do. And as I mentioned earlier, we, we've, we've had experiences where we've seen people fail and, 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 and mess up. And from the book of Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is filled with God using imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. Sinner saints. People who were unredeemable that God has redeemed, but still got some of the old ways. This is what the Bible is filled with. God uses nobodies to tell everybody about somebody. And this is how he works. And so what he's telling us then is to look for those who lead exemplary lives and imitate their faith. Hebrews says that. It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. It says, consider the outcome of their way and imitate their faith. We got to do some imitating of people's faiths. And what that means then is you as one that others are looking to need to understand whether you choose to want to be a role model or not or be someone to follow or not, you're going to be followed. You're going to be seen. And the question that is, what kind of example will you be? Not if you'll be an example, but what kind? And then for all of us, we must make sure that we set our eyes to follow those who are following Jesus. I love how the Bible has people in the scriptures that we, we want to we wanna follow their faith. But a lot of times those people are unnamed, and we just know them because of their situation, like, like the bleeding woman, or the paralytic, or the woman at the well, or the thief on the cross. We don't even know their names. But we see their faith and say, I want to follow that. And then we have people in the Bible whose names we know but never speak a word but they live out their lives. In fact, today we're going to look at two of those kind of people, two examples of people whose lives we are called to imitate. Both of these men, Timothy and a guy named Epaphroditus, both of those men never speak a word in the Bible. We never say here, and Timothy said, or then Epaphroditus said, we never see that. But what we have then are their lives. And Paul uses their lives to tell people, essentially, go and follow their example. Though they never speak a word, their lives say a whole lot. So let's open our Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2, and let's take a look at what God's Word tells us here. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read our passage as I do every Sunday to get it in front of our eyes. I'm going to read verses 19 through 30. We're going to see the example of two men that God is calling us to imitate their faith as they follow Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Would you please, if you're able, rise to your feet as we read God's word together. This is what Paul writes to the church in the city of Philippi. He says, from prison, he says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, 
not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And in verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because, of, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. If you liked that reading and you like God's word and you don't own a Bible, keep the one that's in your hands or the one that's in the chair in front of you. We want you to have that. You may be seated, family. This is a bit of an odd passage, I'll be honest with you, as I was studying the book of Philippians this week. The reason being, Paul's talking about his travel plans in the middle of a book, a letter. Typically, when he's writing letters to different churches, he writes the whole letter, and at the very end, he's like, oh, and by the way, I'm going to be sending so-and-so to you, or I'm hoping to go visit you there or later, or greet this person for me. But here, in the middle of the letter, he starts talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus and these travel plans. And it seems a bit out of place. And I was kind of wrestling through, like, what's he doing here? Because we know like, that, that, that God always has a plan for what he's doing. And when we read the Bible, we've got to ask What's the purpose of this section in this letter, and why do I got to hear it? What, what, what's in this for me? Why do I got to hear what's going on here? And the answer to that question lies in what happens in the chapters beforehand. The whole purpose of the letter of Philippians, Paul is writing from a jail cell. He's locked up because of his faith, and he's trying to encourage and inspire these Christians to continue to live out their life even in the midst of hostility. But then he tells them in chapter 2, verse 4, he says a lot of people look out for their own interests and not the interests of others. And he's saying that's not the way it should be among us who are followers of Jesus. In fact, Jesus is the ultimate example of someone who was selfless and humble and laid down his life for the better of other people. Jesus went to the cross. And through that, he was exalted and sits at the right hand of God. And what Paul is doing here, I believe, is saying Jesus is that ultimate example, but oh, by the way, there are some people who are knocking it out for God's kingdom. That there are some men and women, there are people in this life who really do love Jesus and live for him, and their lives should be imitated. I think sometimes we hear about so many of the bad examples, because those are the ones that get to the news, that we become jaded, and we forget, man. God is using people in our lives. Look around the room. There are men and women here who love Jesus imperfectly, but they're sold out in their faith. They've invested their lives to living for Jesus. And what Paul is saying here is like, hey, we should recognize those people, imitate their lives, and see what God does in your life. Last summer, I was in Liberia, West Africa, and we were doing a, a conference 
in a secluded village outside of the capital city of Monrovia. And as we drove through these really bumpy roads, seeing literal grass huts on the way there, they have these rubber tree plantations that Firestone, the tire company, owns. They're rubber trees. And they extract rubber from the trees to make their tires. And as they're explaining this to us, one thing stuck out to me and the other guy that was with me is that all of the rubber trees were leaning in the same direction. Like, not a little bit, like a crazy lean. And it was just such, it was the weirdest thing. And I asked one of the guys with me, one of the elders from the church, I said, Brother Moses, like, or Elder Dan, why, why, why are those trees leaning? He says, it's because they're leaning toward the ocean. I said, for real? He's like, I don't know, we just made that up. I'm like, okay. But the truth of the matter was, they were leaning toward the ocean. I'm like, why are they leaning toward the ocean? And I was researching this, and I saw that palm trees do a lot of the same thing. So what happens is when these trees are bunched together, they start leaning toward the sunlight. Because when they're bunched together, they're not getting to the sun. And so palm trees do this on the shore. You see them leaning toward the sun. And the rubber trees did the same thing. But here we were several miles in, and they were all still leaning from the one in front of them having leaned. The rubber trees were bent toward the sun. Because in the sun, the trees get their nourishment and their light and their life. What Paul is saying here is that there are people in our lives who bend toward the sun, S-O-N. And their lives find nourishment in Jesus. They find their example in Jesus and they follow him. They're bent toward him. And Paul's like, seeing that person bent toward Jesus? Bend the same way. Look the same direction. Follow them because as you do so, you too will get nourishment and life and light. And he says, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they are guys who are doing that very thing. They are examples to follow. They are those who you need to look like. So let's take a look at Timothy first. We know about Timothy in the book of Acts chapter 16 when he first comes on the scene. And we find out that his mother is a Jewish woman who loves Jesus. But his dad is a Gentile man who doesn't love Jesus. He's not following God. We also find in the book of 2 Timothy that his grandma Lois loves the Lord too. What's so remarkable is Timothy is raised spiritually by spiritually single mom. By a spiritually single mom. Dad may have been in the picture physically. We don't know that for sure because he does, he's not mentioned ever beyond the moment he's mentioned the first time. But his mother Eunice took it upon herself to say, I'm going to raise my son to love Jesus even if his dad doesn't love Jesus. There's a message there. For those of you who might be single moms or maybe you're in a, in a marriage where your spouse doesn't follow Jesus, you take it upon yourself. Say, I'm going to raise my child to know the Lord. That's Timothy's legacy. His grandma, his mom, and now here. When Paul meets Timothy in the book of Acts 16, he's already a young man growing in his faith. And Paul notices it and says, I want to take this dude with me on my missionary journeys. I'm going to, I'm going to take this young man under my wing and raise him in the faith. And now he's about to brag on his son in the faith, saying this is a kid worth imitating. Family, we can't underestimate or overemphasize the importance it is 
of taking young people under our wings and pointing them toward Jesus. Whether it's in the nursery, serving there, or with the Brook kids, or with the Brook youth, we've got to take our young people under our wing because there are role models out there, and they may not all be good. There are voices out there. And here Paul has taken Timothy, and look what he says about him. He gives four specific qualities about this young man. Four qualities that God wants you and me to imitate in our own lives. He says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon that I too may be cheered by news of you. He's he's saying basically, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And when Timothy comes back to me, I'm hoping to get a good report. And so when I hear about how you're doing, I'm going to be encouraged. But you don't just send anybody for that important task. Look what he says in verse 20. He says about Timothy, he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. What what an endorsement. The Apostle Paul, who's traveled throughout the Roman Empire, and he's had many ministry teammates, he takes Timothy and says, man, I got no one like him. He will be genuinely concerned about you guys when I send him to you. In the the book of Acts 16, we find out Timothy is actually there with Paul when this church was started, when God planted it. And in chapter 1, verse 1 of this letter of Philippians, Paul says, Paul and Timothy to the church in Philippi. He's there with them. And here Paul is saying, this young man is going to have a genuine concern for your welfare. Timothy's a guy who looks at people and sees beyond the surface. He's a guy that looks at their hearts and sees people's needs. He has compassion toward others. And we all know how hard it is to have compassion toward people, especially those who annoy us. But here, Timothy's an example. Paul's like, man, when I send him to you guys, just know he's going to love you. He's going to love you guys. Even though I can't be there, he's going to be a good good one to stand in the gap. So the first quality we see, this is a man of compassion. Compassion isn't weakness, men. Compassion is not weakness. In fact, it takes courage to be compassionate toward people, especially those who are in need, and then to do something about it. Timothy's compassionate. Secondly, he's extremely selfless. He says in verse 21, for they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, essentially, that's not true of Timothy. He doesn't, he's not about his own interests. He's not building his own kingdom. He's not about setting up his own platform, making up his own name, getting famous and having a a, a great following. That's that's not what Timothy's about. He's about Jesus. And so when he goes there and visits you guys, he's going to have compassion on you, and you better believe everything he does won't be for his own name. He wants to see you grow in your faith. What a ringing endorsement. And then Paul goes on to say this about Timothy. Verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth. That right there is something that you and I need to long for. That that same kind of thing. You know Timothy's proven worth. Not just his worth, his value. We've all got value in God's eyes. But Timothy's got a proven worth, which means Timothy has had his faith tested. Timothy has been in the pits of life. He has known hostility. He has known adversity. His worth, though, has been proven. He's been put to the test. 
And Paul's like, man, here's a young man who's passed the test. Man, I hope and pray that others can speak of each of us and say, hey, they've been proven. You know, there's a, there's a real problem when we want positions of authority or leadership without the character to accompany that position. And a lot of us get into trouble when we have the, the, the platform but not the character. If character lags or if it lags behind, you're going to fail. So don't, don't just long for position. Say, God, prove me. Test me. Show my worth. God, help me grow in these areas and be patient under God's loving hand. Because when he refines us, then he uses us. And Timothy never speaks a word in the Bible. And we know he's a compassionate, selfless, and proven young man. He's not looking for the authority. He's not looking for the position. He's not looking for the notoriety. In fact, the only one doing the talking here is Paul. But Paul's got a lot to say about him. I think sometimes we can begrudge the weight of being proven, of being tested. It's, it's a weighty endeavor, isn't it? it it's, a, it's a difficult thing. But Paul is saying Timothy is one who's done that. And then in verse 22 he says, You know his proven worth, how as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. Especially in the first century, the sons would end up doing the trade the father did. And this is how a lot of last names have come to fruition. You ever met someone with the last name Shoemaker? Well, guess what their ancestors did? Yeah, they made shoes. Come on now, y'all here? Baker? Last name Judge? Fisher? It's not rocket science, right? And what happens is the family would have the younger person come up and they teach them the trade... And then they would be the baker. And then when they had a child, they would teach their child the trade, and then they would be the baker, and so forth and so on. But you, your family name is only as good as the next child who's going to take on the family name and your ability to raise them up. Paul says, Timothy has been like a son to me. He, he's been like a son to me. And when I've raised him up, he's come alongside and been faithful to the work. A lot of last names end with the last name of son, right? William, son. Well, guess who the dad is, right? It was William way back when. Or Ben, son. Stephen, son. T Timothy would have been like Pasterson, right? Or Planterson. What, what Paul is saying is this young man came under my wing and he was teachable. That's, a, that's, a, that's imitation worthy. He didn't come saying, ah, Paul, trust me, man. My mom taught me a lot. I don't need to learn about this missionary stuff. No, he's like, show me, teach me. And Paul's like, you've seen his proven worth. He's been like a son to me. I've taught him what I know, and he served with me in the gospel. And he says, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Paul's saying, look, I'm in prison. I don't know what's going to happen. I hope I get released. When I find out what's going to happen, whether or not they said, hey, you're going to get executed or you're going to get released, when I find out, I'm going to send Timothy so he can let you know. That's basically what Paul is saying here. But I love how in informing them of this, he's kind of like passive aggressively saying, but y'all need to live like this young man. You, you guys need to exemplify his life. As I mentioned earlier, family, we, we, are, 
We are like saints in an arena, and people are watching you and I. It's, it's a humbling thing. Parents, your children are watching you. How you respond under pressure, when you're afraid, when you're tired, they, they're watching. Your coworkers are watching you. They know that you're a Christian, and they just, heard, they just saw how you got, you got passed up on that project that you were hoping for. They're saying, how are you going to respond about that? Or they're there when you get the mandatory overtime you didn't want. They're like, how are you going to respond about that? When you get an opportunity to steal from the job and everyone else is doing it, and people are watching us. They're seeing how we treat other people, if we love other people. And here Paul's like, man, Timothy is compassionate, he's selfless, he's tested, and he's a learner. Go and do likewise. We see this beautiful example of a young man who hasn't even spoken a word yet. Well, that's one example to follow. And then we have this guy Epaphroditus. You're like, that's a mouthful, and I've learned to say it really quick, by the way. So the unique thing, Paul says that, that Epaphroditus in verse 25 is your messenger and minister. You see those words? He is your messenger and minister to my need. Go over to chapter 4, verse, verse uh, 9. No, that's not the verse. Verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. As we piece this story together, we're finding out that Paul... Took a pa- or, or, I'm sorry, the Philippians took this man, Epaphroditus, who's a Philippian guy. They heard that Paul was in prison. They raised some money, gave it to Epaphroditus, saying, go take this to Paul, and while you're there, take care of him. We love this guy. W- would you go do that? And so Epaphroditus came. He arrived with a gift. Paul's like, I got your gift. It's amazing. Thank you for loving me. And now he's saying, I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you. And perhaps they were wondering, like, no, but we send him there to take care of you, Paul. He's there for the long haul. And Paul's like, no, I'm sending him back. Here's why. Look what he says. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. It's not like this guy's just homesick. You know what, Paul, man, they called me to be here. I, I, miss, I miss Philippi. I miss the restaurants, the coffee shops. I need to go back. No, Epaphroditus is, is burdened because apparently on his travel from Philippi to Rome where Paul was likely in prison, he got sick. Look what it says in verse 27. Indeed, he was ill near to death. Paul, this guy almost died delivering this. That journey was about a 700-mile journey. Without Uber, he had a trek, no metro, nothing. And Paul's saying, when he got here, dude almost died. He's saying, man, I would have been so sorrowful because I love this guy and you guys love him. Somehow the Philippians found he was, oh, he was that sick and now Epaphroditus is better. But he's like, man, they, they don't know I'm better. They think I'm still dying here. I want to go back and let them know I'm okay. 
And Paul says in verse 28, I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I might be less anxious. Because Paul's like, man, I'm, I'm anxious about this too. I want you guys to know that God, God brought him out. God healed him. And then in verse 29, he says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Don't give him a hard time for coming back early. This dude almost died here. Look what he says in verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking. Paul's like, man, this dude, he calls him a fellow soldier, a fellow worker, my brother, and a guy who risked his life for the work of Jesus. So Paul's like, man, don't give him a hard time when he gets there. You know, what Paul is reminding us is that both these men, whether Timothy or Epaphroditus, they are both men who haven't said a word, but whose lives are imitation worthy. They're guys who have laid it all on the line to make much of Jesus. So encouraged by that. I want to leave you with a few lessons here. First of all, some leadership takeaways. If you're in a position of leadership, if you're in a position of leadership at the workplace, if you're in a position of leadership in your household, leading your family, wherever it is, I want you to notice Paul's leadership here. Paul, Paul takes responsibility for the care of the people of the Philippi. So good leaders have concern for the people they lead. Let me say that. If you're a business owner, your employees are not just assets to get you to get to your goals. They're people with real lives and families. Treat them well. Love them well. Care for them. A second rule of leadership, look what Paul does with Timothy and Epaphroditus. He gives them a raving endorsement. He gives them words of affirmation. He speaks life into them by talking about them to the Philippians. We've got to be those kind of people who sing the praises of others who, are wor- who, who have done work that is worthy of being praised. Paul has compassion. He's burdened by Epaphroditus' condition, about the Philippians anxious about it. He's like, I'm going to send this guy back. He's a gift to me. I would love him to keep him here with me. I'm in prison. He's visiting me every day probably. He's blessing me, but I'm going to send him back because I think you guys need him more than I do. That's a leader. And then in verse 29, Paul says, honor such men. Good leadership recognizes the priorities that at the end of the day, those who are giving their lives for Jesus are worthy of praise. You don't have to be in full-time ministry to give your life for Jesus. You could do it in corporate America, in the classroom at your school. Those are those who are worthy of, of honoring. But then there's some personal takeaways for all of us. The first thing I want you to say is, let your life do the talking. Let your life do the talking. And I, I'm going to say this with some care. Um, first of all, Epaphroditus and Timothy, they don't speak, but Paul's like, look at their lives. I mean, sometimes we get busy talking a good talk and not living a good life. And so, so what we're seeing here is like, be a person who lives out your faith. Don't be a different person in public than you are in private. Don't, don't be a different person when you're behind the wheel or in the workplace. Let your life do the talking. And I say that with care because I then sometimes we're like, I'm just going to live out my faith. I'm not going to tell anybody about it because my life's going to do the talking. No, that, that's not what it's saying here. It's a both and. Be verbal about your faith, but be very action-like about your faith. Doing what these men were doing. Second takeaway, 
This is something that's very distinct from being a good person. I need you to hear me. This sermon is not about being a good person for good person's sake or letting your good outweigh your bad. Paul's telling them, yeah, these guys are living lives that are honorable and good, but that's not just what it's about in and of itself. See, we, we talk about this every Sunday here at the Brook. We've got to understand this, that we are not good people in our core. God says your good works are like filthy rags. And so what Paul is saying is that Timothy and Epaphroditus and you two Philippians and you two Brook family who know Jesus have been changed by Jesus. He's given you a new life when you put your faith in him. When you believe he died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and that he rose from the dead to give you a new life, that's where this all starts. But with that new life comes a lifestyle. That's what this is about. Paul's not telling them how to have a relationship with Jesus. They already do. He's telling them how to live out their relationship with Jesus. And he's saying that's when being a person imitation worthy is is what you're called to do. That's what he's talking about. So do good for God's sake. Not to earn his love, but because you've got his love. As Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary of doing good because it gets tiring sometimes. It's hard turning the other cheek. It's hard being compassionate like Timothy and selfless and being a learner at times. But this message is about living out the faith that God has worked in us. Third takeaway is that there are people to follow. There are people to follow. Notice who they are. Imitate their faith so long as they follow Christ. Don't let yourself and your past experiences get you jaded so that you become isolated and you're like, man, I'm not looking up to anybody ever again. I'm not going to do that ever again. That's that's a hard place to be. There's people I've looked up to who have failed, and that's been heart-wrenching. But I know that they are imperfect people. It doesn't get them off the hook. It doesn't justify their actions. But it doesn't mean that what God has done in life is all gone for nothing. And the examples they've done in life is all gone for nothing. No. Saying, God, I know that when they follow you, that was imitation worthy. And when they haven't followed you, that's not imitation worthy. And Lord, help me keep my eyes on you, not judge these people. Hold them accountable, yes. But this is, this is about following you, Lord, and following those who do the same. So there are people to follow who love the Lord Jesus like Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, and you follow those people. Fourth takeaway is be the kind of people to follow. Be that kind of person. Which way do you bend, family? Which way do you bend? Do you bend toward the sun? It's easy to take the posture of Charles Barkley that I'm not a role model. And there's a truth to it, like we talked about. But the truth of the matter is God is calling us to have lives that are so filled with the goodness of Jesus, so rocked by his love, that we say, God, I'm, I'm just, I want to live for you, and I want others to see that. Not, it's not a show. It's not about me. It's about you, Jesus. So let me bend towards you. Let me seek you. And when people see me, let them see 
where I'm leaning. That's what God wants for each one of us. So what is a life that's imitation worthy? Well, as we've seen, it's a life that with God's help risks it all for Jesus and then selflessly cares, selflessly cares for others and saying, God, I know that my life is lived out in your presence. That's the kind of people we want to be so that we can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Let's bring God glory in doing so, family. What appeared to be a random segue in this book was a very purposeful example of how to live our lives. Man, let's do it with all our might, soul, and strength given to us by the Holy Spirit for God's glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, I thank you, God, for these examples of two people in Scripture, among many, who said nothing with their mouths, but said everything with their lives. God, help us understand, Lord, that character counts, that integrity matters, that we are your workmanship created for good works, not loved by good works, but living out the works that you've caused us to live out. God, I, I, I pray for that, that, that person in this room today who might find themselves caught up trying to, trying to just be good and they find themselves failing at that. Lord, you tell us that that's going to happen because we, we just can't by our own strength. I, I pray for that, that man or that woman, that, that youth who hasn't learned to trust in you, God, for your forgiveness and for the life that you offer. I pray that they would do that today. Father, for, uh, for all who are your children in this room, God, I pray, Lord, that we would live very aware that people are watching us and that we wouldn't crumble under that, that we would all the more cling to Jesus and say, Lord, help me. Surround me with, with men and women who love you, whose examples I could follow, and ultimately let us all have our eyes and our lives bending toward the sun. Do this work, we pray, O oh Lord, according to your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.